some uh, meeting this morning where where my uh, the guy I was having a meeting with uh, described it as he felt like he he was a bag of skates. Uh, and I countered with, well, I feel like I've been in that bag of skates. Uh, that's sort of how I feel. I, I've slept four and a half, five hours, something like that, to, to get my system back to, to regular hours. Um, I've, I've felt like an ADHD kid on crack today uh, with with regarding focus because uh, I haven't been able to keep well I think that the longest I kept my my attention at one spot was was probably well 20 minutes ago when I stretched out my my hips which I've decided to to do again um, but you know, I've I've struggled with with keeping you know attention enough to finish sentences. We're um, in for a treat today, then. I am, <laughs> um, and I'm heading straight to bed after this. Um, but yeah, energy levels are, you know, I sort of I feel good. I feel fine. Uh, I wanted to say that I've, a sh have, I've had a shit day, but I really haven't. It's been a wonderful day in many, many regards. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just worn out. My, my mental capacity is just not there. Uh, and I have to sort of flag for that already now. Uh, I'll, I'll do my absolute best to keep my focus. but And it's a lot easier when I have this sort of setting um, but if I wander off you know it, it might just happen but yeah that's that's where I'm at attention attention span of a three-year-old with an iPad and but they can stay level. focused on that iPad for a long time yeah yeah. Yeah, well, that iPad, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Swapping between all of the applications. Absolutely. So I've... I've... Um, I'm starting to get quite a lot of people sort of in my social media feeds who are down with COVID-19. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, some who are sort of, you know, feel a little off and, and you know, losing sense of smell and, and taste and, and, you know, sort of tired and stuff. But not much worse than that and some people who are sort of in their fifth week of, of high fever and just massive headaches and just not being able to to do anything to focus at all and just sort of when will this stop um and it 
again, I think it's it's interesting to to um, to witness in me my sort of reactions to the differing uh, or the different um, sort of recommendations or instructions on a global scale. I was riding my bike this morning to go visit the physiotherapist and I was just, if I were not allowed to move like that, I don't know what I would do. If you were allowed to move like count. Well, on my bike, sort of just be out, which that would just be like I would be pacing my little garden to try to get my 10 kilometers in my body. Because I've sort of gotten used to that. But that's that's another thing that I found interesting. I was, the week before last, uh, we're recording this on the 7th of April, but the week before last, I was in Zoom meetings and, you know, sitting by the computer and... And my body just said, stop it. You know, it's, it's, it's too much. You're sitting too much. You need to move more. I was still doing my morning seven routine and my getting my 10 kilometers plus in my body, etc. But, you know, you're sitting too much. And I realized how that is no longer the base, the baseline of my body being in sort of constant constant pain or discomfort, which is what it was like 10 years ago. You know, I was constantly aching, you know, shoulders and neck and, and back and stuff. And it's just, it's not. So that was also interesting because I'm hoping that more people are taking notice of of their bodies of their of their selves of their senses um, being tucked away at home which is not necessarily a sort of a nice nice observation always it can be painful and, and sort of in, in various ways. And then after the physiotherapist, I went out into the ocean and jumped in and it was, ah, it's wonderful. So there's lots of sensations sort of to be had in these in these times.
Caspian needs to move, otherwise he'll fall asleep. It's not that bad. <laughs> I promise. Can I move this out to meta level? Move away. I feel very different energy in this trio today. There's something, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something profoundly different about seeing you both. And I don't know if it's, you know, well, it probably contributes, but you know, my energy levels and, and all of our energy levels being on, a, on different levels. It makes me very tense. Sort of uneasy. Feels like there's something, something in the room that that, you know, is more important than the recording or or the topic. But I don't know what it is. What that could be. You know, for me, the <clears throat> um, some of that shift, um, there's a, a sense in me that uh, shifted during the course of, of the weekend and yesterday, I would say, that um, <clears throat> it becomes, for me, um, apparent that that the sense of 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 um, kind of careful and hopeful optimism that uh, I felt around the uh, sort of range of signals around COVID as a, a global group process, um, that little house of cards is steadily collapsing. And that's difficult for me to deal with. Um, so I'm trying to find ways in which um, I can approach uh, and process my 
my perceptions and my awareness in a way that is not given to um, that is not given to only uh, uh, I don't know I can't think of a better word only given only to negativity um, criticism um, uh, fault finding uh, not in the sense of blaming but fault finding um, and I'm not really succeeding in um, breaking through that process yet I'm kind of cycling around this difficulty of oh shit um, it looks like we're going to run another round yeah? um, looks like we're going to cycle through this one again um, and what I mean by cycle through this one again we're going to do the thing globally that we did in 2008 we're going to manage to suppress the symptoms um, and we are going to buy our way into a perceptual reality with more state capture, with more uh, rent-seeking, with more uh, financialization, um, and convince ourselves as a, as a big group that, yeah, we weathered the storm. We weathered the storm, so um, that was good. Well done. Jeez, guys. Um, took a few hits but in the main we did we managed quite well um, and the, the 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 sort of feeling state the sensory states that I'm having is of oh no um, this is really fucking dreadful news you just trimmed off another um, 30 percent of possibility you know in years of life or whatever it's like um, the the boat is 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 listing badly and everybody's standing on the side that's closest to the water looking down saying oh look over the side of the boat that's really fast look there's there's dolphins there's dolphins um, you know uh, but it's teetering and it's 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 really close um, and I find it really, really fucking scary, man. I find it really, really fucking scary. I find it really scary that despite this astonishingly developed capacity um, in, in, in human intellect and human intelligence, so we have these amazing uh, abilities to collect really good intelligence and we have amazing abilities to process uh, that data and what we come out with is well we're gonna see to it that we refinancialize the fuck up that got us here in the first place That's very distressing for me. I've kind of been um, in a naive, childish way, hoping that there's going to be um, some sort of indication that, no, we're not going to do that again. We're actually going to start actively putting into place uh, 
uh, alternatives. They're going to start running uh, um, tests or pilots um, to see whether this is something that we can actually address on a, on the level of a global civilization. Um, but all indications are that we're not headed that way. We're in fact headed the other way. We're in a, a devolutionary phase of this uh, process for me in, in the way that I'm looking at it, the way that I'm seeing it. And I'm not saying that that's a fact. It's, it's, it's a product of my own consciousness of the way that, that I'm looking at the thing. <clears throat> and that's so difficult. Mm. What, are, what are some of those indicators? Well, you know, in our, in our local sphere, um, <clears throat> there's been these... Um, uh, just, just to put this in context, Sweden has a population of less than 10 million people. So we do not have these really, really significant... Uh, um, volumes. We don't have the scales of problems that many other uh, societies do. Um, and Sweden has, by comparison, an extremely, extremely high, highly developed society in terms of technology, in terms of, of standard of living, all these kind of things. Everything is on the table for exemplary decisions to be made. And the decisions that are being made have to do with the exercise of power and control rather than enablement and facilitation. And I can understand these decisions being made, um, but when you look at how those decisions are made, the actual structures of decision-making within the Swedish context are deeply rooted in uh, post uh, World War II thinking. These are small rooms with very restricted numbers of people, uh, very focused um, intelligence, also very focused intelligence gathering, um, very specific uh, uh, value sets that are being applied to make those decisions. And uh, I don't have any inside track on this. I just Notice that that's the way the state is is set up, um, and that those decisions come out of the state. So today, um, there was a common decision made, um, and this is the second important common decision that's made across the full spectrum, the full political spectrum in Sweden, um, in which new powers are extended to government, um, and uh, it's quite a big deal because. Um, I mean, this is not easy to, to, to kind of uh, grasp when you're not living in this kind of society, but the Swedish government could not unilaterally decide, for example, to um, uh, step in and, and, and set a, a curfew to make some kind of lockdown. That just doesn't exist uh, in law. It's not possible. So there have been... Uh, uh, throughout the past 200 years, really serious restrictions placed on government and government's power uh, in Sweden. And those powers are vested in parliament instead. And there's a very, very uh, um, 
sharp line of division between uh, uh, the various powers um, in society, the executive and, and um, the, the parliament and so on. And so the, the big compromise that happened for all of these, these, these parties to come together is actually the, the, the veto right of parliament. So if the government decides to close schools in an emergency situation, parliament can actually reverse that decision. And these are uh, significantly different ways of dealing with power by comparison to what happened in Hungary a few weeks ago. Um, and being this being the second decision, the first the first one that comes around is the issue of um, economic support. And what the argument is when those decisions are made is economic support, but it, the fact of the matter is it's not economic support. It is financial support. And there's a huge difference between these things. And the fact that very few people pick up on this is, for me, a very worrying indicator. So very, very, what's, very what's that different? Well, the, you know, um, I think this is the, the age where everybody's going to start their their sentences with, well, I'm not a, I'm not an economist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an epidemiologist. Um, um, I wish more people would start their sentences with that. Like, <laughs> I can barely operate an iPad. Um, <laughs> but uh, economy as a, as an, as a, as a, as a concept, the economy is in principle um, the system that makes it possible to exchange goods and services. That's the economy, end of story. That's the whole deal, right? Um, the financial system is what makes uh, it possible to finance for the purpose of growth those activities within the economy and the real issue around the financial system is that it is set up for um, the protection of monopoly privileges it is set up for um, game theory I win you lose it is set up as a rivalrous game and the game is rigged. The house always wins. Now, when you put these things into a context like uh, um, this current global crisis, um, not noticing that these rivalrous rigged games are actually throwing fuel onto a fire is a really, really seriously critical collapse of intelligence, uh, intelligent re reaction, intelligent assessment. Now it's very, very unlikely that uh, within a Swedish context uh, you will see riots and revolutions. Um, it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. It really isn't impossible and there are very, very significant numbers of uh, people on the, the peripheries of Swedish politics that actually could 
try to generate these kind of reactions. If you put that same scenario into the United States, well, it's a powder keg, it's very, very dangerous. Um, if you put it into India, it's a completely different uh, uh, image, but just a few, well, a few months ago in India, uh, there were astonishing, astonishing levels of public violence. Um, and the general picture on the planet is that public violence is a breath away. We should be doing everything in our power to move away from public violence, but we are not doing that as a, as a collective. The group process is, let's push down these symptoms and get back to normal. So focusing on uh, the, the, the culture of financialization is for me a big problem. Extending powers for, um, for governments to be able to make unilateral decisions is a concern within a context. It doesn't mean it's in itself uh, you know, sufficient, but it could well be necessary um, as an indicator that there's a preparation for more than lockdown against the virus. There is real concern within the system that uh, uh, genuine systemic instability can emerge. And by genuine systemic instability, it really means that uh, people People really close their borders. People don't have stuff to buy. We have uh, the the what 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 the Confederation of Russian States looked like in in ninety uh, four or um, soon thereafter. So called collapse. And those those pictures for me, you know, um, uh, 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 here's a, an example. This is really up at the detail level. Um, there, are, there are crises with, with um, ventilators. And last week, Sweden shipped ventilators. Um, you know, we just happened to have, uh, I don't know, a thousand that had been manufactured recently and shipped them somewhere else. Um, now, the the thing here is that the, 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 the premise behind the, the shipping of the ventilators is entirely financial. This is about meeting financial contracts. This is about meeting uh, commitments within a, a financial sector. It is entirely divorced from the reality that people are living in. And that reality, that, that thing, that experience of I'm at home and what I've got is my awareness of my body, my environment, how am I feeling, what is real around me. That experience is at the meta level seemingly fairly restricted to uh, uh, engaging in interests that are really not necessarily <laughs> to, to some great benefit of, of a a broader vision of, of us, we on the planet. Yeah, okay, rant over.
in one conversation of Krista Tippett's on, on being, I don't remember which one, but she's talking to someone about sort of the, the civic society and, and sort of asking the question of where do you find hope in what's, what, and this was years ago, but, you know, where do you find hope? And, and what would it look like if it was an, I don't know what you said, emergent and, and you said something. Um, if, if the, uh, if on a global or national scale, there were, um, initiatives, whatever, that were actually going in, not this direction that you've now ranted about, but the other one. What would that look like? What, what, what would that be? Is there any, any state on earth that have done anything that sort of similar to or at least sort of headed in that direction or or is this sort of you, all you've seen is circling around is there anybody sort of taking that tangent out yeah i haven't uh, i can't think of any examples um as we're sitting here, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering uh, what's happening, for example, on Cuba. Um, and Cuba's a, a, a really interesting outlier example um, because Cuba got forced into collapse uh, through economic warfare uh, and turned that corner uh, because they had made really good decisions prior to that, notwithstanding all the criticisms about Cuba uh, and what the issues are. And I think that in some ways uh, it's, it is really important to have discussions about what those issues are. So broadly on a meta scale, what is acceptable as uh, um, large scale blanket authoritarian decision making? What are the decisions that we can take that are um, justifiable, applicable to situations that we're in. But some of the things that I really would prefer to see um, is, yeah, so, so shall we go into this? Um. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy called uh, Michael Kumhoff. Michael Kumhoff, I don't know what he does today, um, but when he was working for the uh, IMF, and, and for me this is just, by the way, a really good example of really good 
uh, analysis and, and, and decision-making based on strong intelligence. So Kumhoff comes up with this idea that he calls the Chicago Plan Revisited. Um, and this is really worthwhile looking at because uh, Kumhoff recognizes um, in, in, in very substantial and very, very well-argued uh, ways that the, the basic crisis of financialization will lead to collapse. It will actually uh, lead us down a path that may well uh, have no return. And the Chicago Plan Revisited makes a really, really important distinction in separating the economy from the financial system um, and, and in practical terms what we call banks and investment houses um, and says we must re-establish the firewall between banks and investment houses. That firewall is removed primarily by uh, a series of decisions starting around 1985. The, the rise of, of neoliberalism is also the rise of deregulation. And what that implies is that it doesn't really matter what the financial world is, is, is involved in, what their speculations and risks are. The banks continue to work. That means that there's continuously circulation of uh, uh, currency and stable currency within an economic context. That means that goods and services can be distributed, produced, without necessarily the involvement of the financial system, without dependency on the financial system. And Kumov's mechanism for this is beyond description, pure genius. It really is. It's, it's, it's so breathtaking that um, the only thing that's more breathtaking is the reality of debt economy, the fact that uh, our financial system allows us to, well, allows those people with monopoly privileges to make money out of nothing. So this is an important thing that should be happening now, that we should be seeing from really important players and, 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 and a commitment to backing us out of this shit creek without a paddle situation instead of saying, uh, you know, um, we can get uh, a few more canoes at bargain prices and continue, can just try and see if we can paddle even further up shit creek. In addition to this, things like universal basic income are discussed broadly um, and there are a number of different ways of looking at these problems around uh, universal basic income. Uh, people talk about Trump's commitment to helicopter money. Um, he had uh, decided to, to actually give out cash in, in different ways. But the important thing here is understanding that there are real problems in the way that we actually engage the questions of our existence. We, we live in this idea that you must make a living. You must make money in order to be alive. This is completely bizarre and entirely unnecessary. 
And there are a number of different really well-researched models around UBI that actually enable states to distribute the basis of, of, of a stable, safe, existential um, quality of life income that does not in any way impact the national economy on a negative level. And this is really not rocket science. It's actually really quite simple to understand. Um, but there has to be political will in order for this to happen. And political will has been hijacked by financial monopoly interests. And for financial monopoly interests, UBI means an end to uh, uh, unrestricted extraction of value, unrestricted uh, um, uh, uh, extension of all of the external costs, unrestricted accumulation. So these are elements that I would really like to see in place. I would really like to see in place a commitment to beginning to build genuinely distributed, um, resilient uh, uh, networks of local quality decision-making. And this is not easy stuff. This is really hard stuff. This is stuff we have to start to do. 20 years ago, we should have started that. And in some places, we did. In Sweden, they decided under the, the one, two, three, the fourth prime minister back, called Jöran Persson, he had this idea of, of um, what they called uh, uh, communalization, which um, is not, it's got nothing to do with communism. It, it's about extending power to local authorities. And Persson does this in a context in which uh, public administration uh, is oriented around an, an important principle of remo removing all the steps between local authorities and government so that there's only one step between local authority and government. And th there's lots of criticisms of this decision in, in Sweden. And what I mean by d different steps is that uh, from local, from, from district level to local authority to uh, regional authority to province to uh, and so on that as many of these steps are removed as possible so that there's much easier clearer communication etc etc hopefully with the long-term goal of creating more distributed local authority more autonomy and one of the big issues in 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 the Swedish context is that for Swedes to make different decisions to their neighbors is pretty much culturally taboo. So the local authorities all start to spend their money in exactly the same ways. They make the same stupid fucking decisions over and over again because that's what they did in the neighboring local authority. That's what we do, you know. Um, and this is, this is difficult stuff. This is, culture is not easy to change. And we have to work at it. We have to really put resources into doing this stuff. And that means putting real money and real tools 
into people's hands with a broad remit to say um, we need in every single local authority in Sweden, for example, uh, there should be uh, autonomous crisis groups working consistently to establish resilience for those, those uh, uh, local authorities so that those local authorities would actually be able to withstand a lockdown for 60 days. Not a problem. Completely self-sufficient to as high a degree as possible. That's not where we are. We live in extreme fragility. And the decisions being made is to just continue adding more fragility. So all these people that are unemployed, Sweden's got soaring unemployment, like something that's never been seen before. Well, yeah, that's a problem. But seriously, folks, all that we've seen for the last at least uh, two administrations, so we're looking at uh, something like 20 years, has been efficiency-oriented cuts everywhere. Less people doing more and more and more work and getting really stressed and getting really yeah. sick. Getting anorectically lean. Yeah. So what do we want to see? Well, you want to see genuine programs of regeneration, rebuilding those things that make this Scandinavian model uh, actually produce the possibility of, of, of real innovation, of actually being able to step over the thresholds that are created through the, the rational worldview, of stepping over into complex systemic worldviews and finding ways in which adaptation on network levels are actually possible within a governance worldview, understanding the value of governance, but not applying governments as centralized power systems. I don't see people tending towards this stuff. And the decisions that are being made now seem to indicate to me that those are not going to be questions that are on the table when everything's back to normal. Decisions that result in, in, in um, sufficiency, not efficiency. Locally produced food, medicines, um, you know, real quality of life. Uh, making genuine decisions to organize for, um, for, 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 for failure, for exploration, for... Uh, for curiosity, cultivating a genuine interest in, in, in life as a state of being. They're long processes, they're long arcs, but they are doable. I'm thinking about that that conversation we had last week, Dominic, you and I, where we talked about change and, and the process and progress of change. Where when when one's leading change, you have to sort of lead 
one person at a time and and get those early adopters moving yeah towards where you want to go yeah and just as you're saying all of this it strikes me that regardless of of how well the early adopters do in Sweden, the rest aren't going to catch up. Because we we operate from a Swedish perspective, generalizing, of course, we operate from um, the majority point of view. Our culture is centralized around each other, thinking collectively. And regardless if, you know, we would break out Malmö and say, hey, we're going to do this now. Let's go. Which, which you know, Malmö would probably be one of the first places anything like this could ever happen uh, in Sweden, at least from, from where I'm standing people all around would still say, well, the rest are doing their normal stuff. Things would have to go really fucking far for the rest to change. Yeah. There would have to be a lot more early adopters for things to change here. And finally, I think that that's not a bad thing. Mm, absolutely. Um you know, there's a there's a part of me that thinks, oh, it would be so nice if we could just all get along. Um, but there's another part of me that's quite aware that if we don't have conflict, uh, we don't get to new insights. There's Friction another part of me that's movement. yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, no, there's, that's there's a there's there's a a well-developed understanding for the value of developmental waves in history, in individual psyches, and, and, and why those things are really important, why uh, developmental processes are really important, and that they cannot really be um, forced through rational means. Um, they can be engaged rationally um, and definitely uh, perhaps sped up somewhat in a logarithmic way, but not in an exponential way. It's through huge events like this um, that are exponential that it's possible to shift, make these big shifts, but it's not a guarantee that the shift goes towards a greater number of people with a deeper awareness, uh, a broader perspective towards what it is that actually affirms life. And having those discussions with people around you, what is the basis of existence? What do you think is the basis of your existence? How do you know that you exist? How do you know that you think? How do you know that you feel? these kind of premises of our being are not part of some sort of public discourse. They're very far away from those things. Until maybe you get sick and, and, and you could die, then you start to, to have those discussions.
and possibly by some coincidence, it just happens to be Easter. Um, and although that's more often than not associated with Christianity, uh, the, the, the premises of these mystical experiences have to do with exactly these questions of this cross that everybody has to bear of applying your consciousness um, in a, uh, a direct um, linear opposite to nature. We are biological beings uh, with cognitive and conscious abilities or consciousness uh, that runs contrary to the natural, the natural ecological system that we live in. Dealing with that is really our, our, our crisis. How do we do that? How can we not destroy uh, the host? One of the things that I think would indicate that we that we are actually engaging this problem is that we would start to discuss um, the fact of our uh, of our um, what what we perpetrate, what we perpetrate on our on our environment, what we perpetrate on our own lives. Um, what sort of, of wounds and scars we carry on our inner plane um, to start to deal with, with, with trauma. Um, and I, I, I mean, I mean this really seriously that those discussions are probably worth far more than uh, financial packages. The financial packages may well be uh, some of the necessary elements, but they're not sufficient. The, the sufficiency lies also in the fact that there's the, the, the human element to deal with, and that human element is a broad spectrum. It involves some pretty significant fuck-ups that when we continuously turn our back onto those fuck-ups, we guarantee that they will return. They will return. They will spread. They will infect. I think in those, in those worlds, if they're those type of uh, engagements, if that sort of vision becomes a, uh, a public discourse and accepted, uh, something that people would talk about in the same way that they can uh, talk about a moon landing or space travel or something like that, um, that shifts the whole world of education, for example dramatically shifts the, the, the mindsets, the actual 
uh, uh, range of perspectives and as a result the leverages for uh, what sort of innovation is possible in an entirely different worldview. A worldview not based on I win and you lose, but a worldview that's not even based on win-win. I mean, I, seriously, I think the whole win-win idea is just a, uh, a comfortable way of avoiding the darkness of win-lose. We're still talking about two winners. How about two beers? Daniel Quinn gets this so right when he talks about the, the difference between takers and leavers. That it's not about everybody winning, it's about everybody leaving, leaving that which they don't need for that day, for that uh, moment. Because there's this, 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 astonishing prevailing idea that 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 progress is some sort of of unassailable truth of history that this is what we are here for is for progress and that it doesn't matter what the means are it always justifies the end And that kind of sets us into a, a continuous cycle of thinking that as long as the, the economic graph is pointing upwards, that we're in a state of progress. And it's the inner graph where the infinite growth is. That's where there actually is possibility for infinite growth. We have no ceiling for, for human development, for human psychological development. And it doesn't cost the host. We don't destroy the substrate when we work on ourselves, on the inner plane. You know what we talked about with the inner and outer world about things not being real if we don't if we can't touch them. I've been thinking a lot about the the premise that that they present in uh, Mister Mysteria, a Swedish podcast series, um, and they they talk about a way of thinking that they had in ancient Egypt 
where gods could be, or, well, things could be, beings could be, souls could be, more than one thing at once. So, the sun wasn't, the sun and, well, what's the sun god? Ra. Ra, yeah. Yeah. A sculpture uh, of Ra, yeah. Yeah, the sculpture of Ra and the sun are both Ra. The sun isn't a representation of Ra, and the sculpture isn't a representation of Ra. They're all Ra. Mm. So they all are at the same time. And they all are all one. And connecting one more element to it before, before sort of bringing them all together. I had a conversation in, in one of my previous podcasting projects where a woman described how she'd had experiences of being every single thing at every given point of time. You know, those, those out-of-body out experiences, to, to say very generalizing. Of, of being one with all and, and being everything at the same time. Being the, the glass of water looking back at, at her body. Um, and I think bringing them all together, you know, these are the two later ones, the, the theory they had in ancient Egypt and, and these out-of-body experiences. I think those two things are what made my inner world tangible to me. Sort of they, you, hearing, they, you hearing about this, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and also experiencing it. You know, having having those kinds of experiences myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've told you guys this, but but I read. Um, you know, I've had a, a, one of the Terry Pratchett books in in my bookshelves, and since I was seven, probably um, refusing to read it because my mother gave it to me, and she really told me that that I shouldn't read it. So, so I refused. Um, and, and then when I was in London, I bought one of his books just at random because basically because I, I recognized the, the name and I thought the, the cover was really pretty. Um, and I read it. I enjoyed it very, very much. But almost at the end, I, I just had a, you know, sort of, sort of a feeling and... I went back to the beginning of the book to, to read about the disc world that this whole story was playing out in. And I realized that what Terry Pratchett describes with his disc world, a world that he's been working on for God knows how long, um, 
was very similar to, to something that I've been working on for, for quite some time. And that is without ever having heard about the concept of the Discworld, at least not, not, not consciously. And, and that's, that's probably one of the, the most tangible experiences I had where, where I wasn't in my body. Because what I was feeling was, this thing is real. This is as close a, to truth as I could possibly come. Um, and I sort of went, I don't want to say unconscious, but, but you know, I, I went out, outside of myself for, for a good 10 minutes just exploring that. And what I want to say with all of this is that these experiences, these thoughts, has, has made my inner world tangible enough to me to believe it, to see it. That inner world to me is as tangible as the glass of water on, on my table. It is as real to me. I can see it as clearly. And what I think isn't happening at a large scale right now is that people, people can't see their development, people can't see their inner world in the same way they can see the physical one. Why not? Possibly because, you know, there, I, I have a couple of uh, thoughts on that. One of them is, is because they haven't had those experiences. I think the, the tangible experience is, is very central to all of this. You know, the, the meeting God experience, the, the being outside self, the being one with all experience. Um, another one is, is that we, we simply don't talk about that enough. You know, I've had loads of friends who, who've, you know, since I've, I, I used to listen to Reggie, we, we brought up my dreadlocks before, you know, a lot of those friends continuously say that they're one, one with all, one love. It's common courtesy to, to sort of, we, we greeted one, one each other, one another that way. And we said goodbye like that. So it was a common thing with, within that clique. But we didn't, we didn't actually talk about what it meant. We didn't talk about the experience. Everyone took it for granted. And I think stepping one step outside of that clique, you don't even recognize the thought. You've never exercised that. I don't want to say part of your brain, but, but that way of thinking, that line of thought, that this may actually be possible. You haven't, in fact, really exercised that muscle of thinking, can anything other than my worldview be possible? And we're seeing, you know, I, I'm seeing quite clear symptoms of that in public debates where people can't envision anyone to be um, 
well, in Sweden, you know, sympathizing with the Swedish Democrats or, or sympathizing with Trump or sympathizing with Putin. You can't step that far outside of yourself into another person or into millions of people who've described why they're feeling this way or why they have those opinions. There's not lack of stories about why people vote for Trump. That's one thing that's for sure. So, so, yeah, sorry. Well, in that episode of Myter och Mysterio that you're referencing where they spoke about this sort of the, the Egyptian um, worldview, one of the interesting things that they say there also, Per Johansson, is that he realizes that actually it's not just the Egyptians. It's like that has been the way humans have thought for millennia, except for this little tiny blip of, of moment in humanity. And he just sort of realizes that, shit, it's us. We're the odd ones out. We think they are so odd But really, we're the odd ones because we as a society today don't put any, um, any weight to that way of, of, of being. Um, and that, I think, that was really interesting when I listened to that episode, which I've done several times. Um, he sort of has that, whoa, pivot. It's like that question, it, you know, are the monkeys in the cage looking at me or, or am I looking at them? Who's really the, the one in the cage? Like, well, probably us right now. Um, well, yeah, but with, within that uh, world, um, the, the, the worldview you're referencing, the question is, is the system of balance in me or am I in the system of balance? Is life part of divinity or is divinity part of life? And working through these, these kinds of um, states of, of awareness um, are what you're talking about, Caspian, and, and the way we understand them in the modern context is, is the initiatic tradition that you need to be mentored and led into continuous development. Now, at the point of, of more or less post-enlightenment uh, uh, populations, once we, we take on uh, things like, like um, Newton and, and empiricism, that's the end of the story. Now, that's really remarkable. That's astonishing. It's like... What? What on earth happened? And, and what, what the message is, is that once you've been through your education, once you've done your university education, once you've become an adult, whatever that happens to mean in the cultural context, but usually it sort of has run its course by the time you're 30, by then you're an adult. Well, then it's the whole, the whole thing is finished. It's done. Yeah, you're done. You, you're not going to develop more than that. 
And this is total fraud. I mean, it's the most terrible fraud that's exacted on, on humanity, not because of some evil intent, but because within our, our humanness, we stumble and we make mistakes. We choose wrong paths. And this particular wrong path we choose should not be thrown out like the baby in the bathwater. This is not a bad thing. And this is something that I, that I kind of return to all the time, is that um, it doesn't matter whether people vote for Trump. It doesn't matter whether um, the CIA uh, are involved in genocide. They are part of the big picture. We cannot move forward if the whole big picture isn't with us. So we have to accept that there are different levels of development within the broad spectrum of the human population. We have to work with that the same way that we accept that three-year-olds cannot think the same things that nine-year-olds can, that 19-year-olds can, or 29-year-olds can. But we have to start accepting that there is the possibility of endless growth on the inner plane. And that it's exactly those things you're talking about um, uh, of waking up to that. There is a very, very, very deep and extensive world of meaning to be had through the quality of your awareness by developing your quality of awareness. That's not the whole picture because there's a lot of other shit to deal with. You actually have to deal with your shit. You have to process all of your... Uh, defense mechanisms and these are these are huge subjects you know but for example uh, uh, Stanislav Grof um, who unfortunately everybody knows only because of, of his work with LSD or that's what he's most known for but Grof is is so insightful in pointing at that human birth the experience of being born is astonishingly traumatic by comparison to all other mammals. And in his theoretical framework, there are really good arguments for why violence and why uh, uh, the, the whole um, dog-eats-dog, win-lose uh, sort of worldview that, that, that we, we struggle with has to do with the trauma of birth and that the more you can support every single individual on the planet to overcome that base trauma, the less likely it is, in very, very significant ways, that they'll repeat those traumas either by exacting them on other people or by developing self-destructive behaviors. On a global scale, this is astonishing stuff. Because all of the nice, sort of comfortable verbiage about co-creation and abundance and all that sort of stuff is pretty pointless as long as we are all, all of the time, more or less committed to the win-lose game. And we are all more or less committed to the win-lose game. If you have to pay for your shelter, 
if you have to buy your food from, from, from a, a wage that you worked for, you're in the win-lose game. And there are mm. very, 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 very few people that aren't in that win-lose game. But that's sort of taking it down from this level to sort of the this level, me level. That's what I've been grappling with this past month. I, I still cling to hope. Um, but, but seeing that there is, there is a possibility for that utopia that we talked about X episodes ago. What the fuck do I do here and now? To not promulgate the existing system but to sort of step outside of it. And how do, how do I do that and still sort of live? How do I do that in a society where, as you say, all of us are in, we're in that game. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I go all practical on myself on that. What do I do with my wages? What do I do with money to, that I can save? Um, what do I shop? Where do I shop? Do I shop anything? Do I start to grow all of my vegetables in my garden? You know, it's like I'm totally wrestling with that sort of trying to trying to get it down from the meta level where it, for me, oftentimes can feel like there's nothing I can do or there's nothing I can be but but sort of take it down into what what how can i be in this world and not be one of the silent sort of people cheering it on simply by me not stepping out of mm. it mm. yeah incredibly important questions they really are Start with an egg. Start with an egg. Do the one thing. Be the one thing. Mm. Maybe not all of your vegetables in the garden. But one more. Yeah. And maintain the long view. Because you know it's and, it's and, yeah yeah Sorry. go ahead no but I'm I'm thinking because because there are a lot of people who are going to ask themselves this question and who are already asking themselves that question what can I do what can I be how can I be and and I think the important takeaway at least for me in in you know, I've, I've had 23 years of life experience. Starting with an egg is never the wrong option. 
So what do you want to say about starting with an egg? What does it mean for you? What's the metaphor? The metaphor is, um, it's actually properly stolen from, from Tim Ferriss, at least from my part. And mine. Um, who, who says, if, if you want to get healthy, if you want to you know, become fit, take care of your body, um, start with an egg for breakfast. Or start with adding an egg to your breakfast. If you're not having any breakfast right now, add an egg. If you're already having oatmeal, add an egg. Because that egg can, can, it has to go to some extreme cases for it to hurt your body and your system. And you're going to feel the difference of that egg over time, continuously. And when you've done that for, for quite some while, add another egg. Which in this case actually is a, is a metaphorical egg. Take a walk, 10 minutes, do a push-up, not a hundred, one. You know, start, start with one simple step. In the case of getting healthy, that's an egg. In this case, I think, for all of us, because we're not, you know, we're not here to present answers because we don't have any. Um, but we can give suggestions, I think. And one of those suggestions, at least for me, would be to, to try to meditate. Try to think of these things. Try to talk to someone about these things. Express your concerns. Express your trauma. Try to put words on it. If you have a possibility to, to grow your own vegetables, try to grow one. You know, move one step in the direction of where you think we should be heading. Yeah, or like Mark Nepo says, step one inch into the unknown. Because that's the thing here. We, we, none of us have that IKEA manual. There isn't one for a way forward. There are a bunch of people's, people with suggestions of, of how to start. But you will not be presented a manual anywhere. And if anyone tries to present a manual, uh, I would like to, to sort of say they're wrong. Because a lot of people are trying that as well. If we're moving into the unknown, no one could ever have that manual. And all we can do in that case is move one step, one inch into it. Also circling back to something you said, Dominic, X episodes ago, this 
reach out to, to one person, reach out, sort of address your neighbor or yeah. your friend, call someone you haven't called in, in a while and just ask, how are they? Yeah, the 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 meta message for me is touch life. Mm. It's interesting how so much can sort of just all of a sudden be there, sort of going into this not being here at all, and just sort of. Wow. Ten rants later. Yeah, We're there here. you go. Yeah, Ten, yeah, definitely. Fuck. That should yeah. have been the name of the podcast. Ten, Ten rants, rants later. later. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. And now Next he one. got it. Next one. Next yep. one. Fuck. <laughs> Doing this bit is no safe. <laughs> well, you know, that uh, comment of yours about the, the manuals, um, I think those are examples of the Buddhas by the roadside, you know, that, um, yeah, people come with manuals. Um, unless you swallow that thing and absorb it through your own your own sort of visceral beings processes through your own gut your own acids and shit it out it's not going to mean anything it might be a good manual it might be a really really good manual but being able to touch the life of it it has to be you that eats it it has to be you that ingests it has to, it has to kind of be um, become a part of you. I think that's also the the kind of uh, center of that Egyptian thing. Mm. Yes. That this is about uh, a worldview that is engaged in the fundamental truth of um, I bring myself forth into the world. And through doing that, I bring forth the world that these two things are inextricably linked to each other. 